You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Greg Company, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Thanks for pressing play on this episode of the Two and Out CFL Podcast. I'm Travis Curran. Now I gotta be completely honest with you. I did record a full episode with Brazilian Thai. Everything was done. We had a lot of fun. And then the episode has been lost into technological space forever. And <laughs> I figured, okay, we'll call it a night. Wake up tomorrow morning and do it again. I'll find a co-host and just do it that way. But here I sit at 3.12 in the morning, <laughs> figuring that it might just be better if I just talk football with you by myself, get an episode out early Monday, and we'll reconvene on Wednesday with Brazilian tie, and hopefully things are back to normal. But when you're at almost 400 episodes of a show, things do, will, have, and will again go wrong. So I'll just be chatting week eight of what happened in the CFL with you. Hey, you can know that Ty had some great jokes that will never be heard. (laughs) Only I know (laughs) what kind of jokes made it into, uh, into the show. But I do know that I won't swear and I won't have to insert the elk at all into this podcast so editing this actually shouldn't be too much of a challenge (laughs) week eight started friday night in the nation's capital hey there was a bit of a weather delay in this one the uh ottawa red blacks ended up falling to the hamilton tiger cats 16 12 the crumb magic has come to an end at least for this week. Now, Ottawa's offense really couldn't get much going in this one. I mean, is that saying a lot? Uh, Dustin Crum still had 82 yards rushing on 13 carries. He had, obviously, that's over six yards a carry. So Hamilton was sort of prepared for that. They didn't give up any big gains on the ground. So they were able to limit him that way. And then through the air, 13 of 22, 158 yards and an interception. Now, certainly Ottawa did have their opportunities at the end of the game, but just couldn't quite get it done. Bo Levi Mitchell making his return for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, 23 of 40 for 353 yards, two touchdowns. Here's the deal, though. Five interceptions by five different players on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Abdul Kenna, Alonzo Adai, Frankie Griffin, Douglas Coleman, and Brandon Dandridge. Now, some of those are on the receiver, but... I don't know if they're just not in sync, Bo and the receiving core in the hammer, but some of those balls didn't look all that good. But at times, Bo looked brilliant, especially early in the game, I thought, moving the ball, having success, especially down the middle of the field, obviously. 
353 yards for Bo this week. Last week against Ottawa, Jake Mayer, 450 yards. So you can pass against this Ottawa Red Blacks defense. They'll make you pay here and there with uh, with an interception, just like they did in this one. But despite all of the opportunities that the Red Blacks defense gave the Red Blacks offense, they weren't able to capitalize on them. Lewis Ward going four for four on field goals for 54 yards. James Butler for the Ticats couldn't get that run game going at all. Six carries, 12 yards Added two catches for 30 yards, and the scoring started off early for the Ticats. Duke Williams, five catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Man, just that big frame of his putting himself in between the ball and the defender, and the defender really didn't have a chance at all. Terry Godwin had himself 71 yards receiving on five catches. And get this, Kai Loxley. Two catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. They did have Loxley into the game as in, a, in sort of a wildcat formation. Uh, he did have a dropped pass. It, it's clear, Kyle Loxley is a great athlete. Edmonton fans know this, but his time ended recently in Edmonton when, well, some attitude issues surfaced, and it's hard to... I think blame any player on the Elks for displaying frustration here. Uh, allegedly, Kyle Loxley refusing to go into a short yardage play. So Chris Jones sent him packing. Now in Hamilton, had a 75-yard touchdown in this game. And you know what? That was sort of a bizarre sequence. You don't see that much in football. Bo Mitchell gets intercepted. By Brandon Dandridge, by the way, what a year he is having. He returns at eight yards, but then he fumbles it. It's forced by Terry Godwin. The <laughs> the offensive lineman, Carter Wood Manzi, recovers the fumble. <laughs> so they're uh, first down Hamilton, and then the very next play, a 75-yard touchdown pass to Kyle Oxley. One of the most bizarre sequences you'll ever see, but that is what CFL football is. And you know what? <laughs> that touchdown was a big turning point in the game. I mean, obviously, that uh, was an explosive play for the Ticats. They did have a few here and there, but still not the consistent offense that maybe we thought we would be seeing from the Hamilton Tiger Cats, at least preseason. Like, all the hype was in Hamilton. The Grey Cup's there. You, you end up getting your quarterback, Bo Mitchell, and Duke Williams comes to town. Jameer Thurman on the defense, and it just has not panned out. But obviously, a very big win for the Ticats going into Ottawa and beating a division rival on this one. That Kyle Loxley... Uh, touchdown <laughs> gave them a lead and they didn't really look back but let's let's face it Ottawa had their opportunities at the end of the game and some of that play calling that they made was just I thought kind of bizarre here's the situation it is 16-12 tie cats uh, third and six 
Dustin Crum completes the pass to Nate Bahar. First down, fresh set of downs. Hamilton 12-yard line, 41 seconds to go. Dustin Crum rushes, 8-yard gain. Second and 2 Ante Milanovic Litre gets the carry. He gets stuffed. And then third and two, they try to hit uh, Nate Bahar, but it's telegraphed by Casey Sales, the D lineman for the Tie Cats. He gets the hands up, deflects the pass, but it was that second and two play call that I was really puzzled by by the Red Blacks. Ante Milanovic Litre, uh, he had two carries for one yard. In this game, on the other hand, Devontae Williams, 8 carries, 53 yards, 6.6 yards a carry. Crum has over 6 yards a carry. I mean, if you're going to give it to a guy, I'm sorry, with all due, due respect to Ante milanovic Litre, I, I love him as a football player. Uh, the success moving the ball on the ground was with Williams and Crum in this one. So I, I was kind of scratching my head at that one, but... The head-scratching continued here because the Cats get the ball back on their own four-yard line. Chris Edwards takes an objectionable conduct penalty. They're back on the two, and then you're thinking, well, there's 20 seconds left. Kneel the ball. Well, it's a sticky situation, isn't it? Because if they back up... Just a little bit. They're in the end zone. You don't want to give up the safety. I, I understand what's going on there. So Bo Mitchell does a little quarterback sneak, trying to give the offense some breathing room. Over the top comes Javan Santos Knox. He kind of rolls over, lands on Bo's ankle, and Bo is injured. No weight allowed on the leg. He's carried off the field. Why did this happen? How did this happen? I don't know. It is really confusing what we're hearing. What we're hearing is that Orlando Steinauer expected Bo to go out there and kneel the ball. So I, I don't know if he just assumed that Bo would do that or if he told him he would do it and Bo decided to get the breathing room. But can you remember the last time Bo was in on a short yardage play? I can't. It's not his thing. It hasn't been his thing for a long time, especially returning from the six-game injured list. Well, he's hurt. Back on the six-game injured list. It does appear he underwent uh, a procedure Sunday morning for a fracture in his leg. He's on the six-game again, and they do say that he'll return this season. But a real head-scratcher from Orlando Steinauer and the Ticats. I don't think you can just assume that your player is going to rush forward or, or get out there into victory formation. And if you wanted to run the ball, sorry, that's Taylor Powell time. An absolute bizarre end to that game in Ottawa. Ticats get the win, but in the process, lose their quarterback Again, as for the Red Blacks, uh, 65 yards for Justin Hardy on five catches. Devontae Williams did add another 43 yards in catches. So, I mean, 76 yards for him. Probably would have liked to see him get a little bit more than 
uh, eight yards or eight carries in this game. But when Crum has 13 himself and has success, maybe it's not that big of a deal. And maybe that is the other thing here. Second and two, <laughs> you got time. You can get the first down without getting the touchdown. Why not give it to Tyrell Pigram? He had three carries for eight yards. Of course, that's short yardage stuff. He's had success doing short yardage since he's joined Ottawa after being released by the Bombers. Quite a puzzling situation there from both sides, really. Shaq Evans back into the lineup for the Red Blacks. One catch on five targets. It was a 14-yard grab. Seemed like he struggled getting back into the lineup. I'm sure he'll shake some of that rust off as he's back in there. Jalen Acklin, two catches, 17 yards. Nate Bahar, two catches, 16 yards. So the Ticats were able to limit the Red Blacks and what they wanted to do in this game. And the East Division, all of a sudden, is exciting all over again. A quick look at those standings has Toronto, of course, in first, then Montreal, then Hamilton, then Ottawa. Montreal's three and three. Hamilton and Ottawa both three and four. <laughs> wow. And man, I really hope Bo gets back into the lineup and he's going to be healthy and playing good football. And I mean, he's three touchdowns, nine interceptions in limited action this year. I mean, a five-interception game is is, is going to hurt you. And it's going to send you way up the leaderboards when it comes to the interceptions. But at times, looked like the, 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 bold of, the bow of old. Able to just rocket that ball down the field. And then other times, it's just ending in the wrong hands. And uh, a little far too often when he's been able to get in this season. And it's going to be hard to build up that chemistry when he's missing another six games for the Tiger Cats. Touchdown Atlantic came on Saturday with the Toronto Argonauts beating the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 31-13. Now on the show, there's been a lot of talk about expansion over the last little while, and especially when it comes to time zones and scheduling and what things would look like if there were a 10th team in the CFL on the East Coast. We have a really big country. It makes travel a, an absolute challenge. There's no doubt about it. I actually got a message from Twitter from Andy. He says, hey, listening to the latest show, I want to point out that the idea of the time zones and touchdown Atlantic games starting early is funny from our point of view. Because I can honestly say the insane late start times in the CFL is why we don't watch more games. I live in Moncton, New Brunswick. Western games for us are hilarious because by halftime, it's already tomorrow. He continues, I would love a team here and and hope maybe our games would start at a more reasonable time. We would watch more CFL over here if we didn't have to stay up until tomorrow. And then he adds, keep up the good work. Well, Andy, thanks for uh, sending me that message and thanks for listening to the show. That's definitely a consideration if there is a 10th team in the CFL. We already see it right now. If the Ticats or the Argos, the Red Blacks, the Alouettes are playing in Vancouver and it's a Friday, Saturday night, whatever it is, we already see those fans voicing their frustration a little bit. And I know, I, I don't think the CFL is as gate-driven as it used to be. This TV deal, we know, 
basically covers the player salaries. It's it's a significant amount of money. But <laughs> it's a balancing act for scheduling for television and scheduling for the fans in the stands. Theodore King on our YouTube channel writing an interesting comment a couple days ago. He says, you just had to open the expansion, didn't you? He says, I already see the hot takes in the comment section, so it's probably a good idea. I guess it is. It's It seems to come up in waves. Expansion. When are the schooners coming? Go look at Quebec City. Go look at Saskatoon, London, Ontario, whatever it is. He adds, my only thought is that the CFL should have budgeted $50,000 per team for expansion search and fifty k for normal territory marketing. That would be a total of nine hundred k, which is slightly below the amount of money for the American TV deal. If you invest it this way, then it'll grow the game around North America, pay players a hundred bucks an hour to do charity work in their own hometown in the off season on behalf of the CFL wouldn't hurt either. Doing the same thing with retired players would help Hall of Fame types get by financially as well. As far as I know, no one from the CFL has been doing play with the pros, football camps, etc. in Quebec and Halifax. And this is the wrong thinking. If you want to expand somewhere, you should have a year-round presence. Hey, that last sentence, I, I think that's the nail on the head. If you do want to expand somewhere, you should have a year-round presence. And I mean, that's a big... Uh, thing that they want to get done in Halifax. And look, the atmosphere looked great. I think they made a, a big uh, effort with TSN to make it look great. Like the fans were having a great time out there, despite all of the stuff that has gone on in the province of Nova Scotia since, we'll say, May. Wildfires that year recently floods, and they didn't hide from it encouraging people to donate to the Red Cross for the cleanup efforts uh, for the great people in Nova Scotia. So, I mean, it, it was cool that they didn't hide from that, and it was good that locals and people traveling from around Canada got to enjoy another game in the Maritimes. Well, after halftime, it was 21 nothing, Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> this is what the Argos do. They make you pay, and you know what? The offense didn't have to do much in this game. Chad Kelly, 13 of 21 for 122 yards. One touchdown, one interception. How do the Argos make teams pay? They make you pay for mistakes. And it started early on, a special teams mistake from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with Javon Leak returning a 71-yard punt return to the house for the touchdown, he had six punt returns for 171 yards. The other touchdown that the uh, Argos had, and I've spoke about it a lot this year, was uh, Mason Fine being intercepted by Deshaun Amos. Amos returns it 58 yards to the house. The other interception came from uh, Robertson Daniel who has battled injury issues over the past few years. He's been healthy for the most part this year. Well, he ends up getting an interception in uh, this one. And what 
do <laughs> the Argos do after that? Well, they drive the length of the field and Chad Kelly completes a pass to Dijon Brissett for the touchdown. That is the one that put the uh, Argos up 19 nothing, and then the two-point conversion gave them the 21 nothing lead. I mean, the Argos will make you pay for those all of the time. And they did it again in this one. That is why the Argos are undefeated. 6-0 and for the first time since 1935. I really doubt there is a <laughs> listener to uh, to it out that has been uh, alive <laughs> since 1935. If you remember that year, that's awesome. I'd love to hear the stories. Uh, but another thing here, the Argos, three penalties... 15 yards. How many other teams in the CFL would love to <laughs> experience that sort of success with discipline? Even early last year, the Argos were struggling when it came to discipline. They were having fights among each other on the sideline. And it was it was ugly at times. And it didn't look like they'd be able to come together. Well, they did. They won the Grey Cup. And now it looks like at least a third of the way through their season, they're poised to at least be back in that big game. The Rough Rider offense, it's not like they didn't have success. The Argos are a great defense. With two quarterbacks, the Riders had 402 yards passing. Mason Fine, 27 of 39, 302 yards and then the interception. The one to Robertson Daniel, not the best throw. The one to Deshaun Amos, Mason Vine gets cranked. He gets crushed. <laughs> and then, uh, at least I, in my point of view, the uh, receiver, I believe it was Tevin Jones, the intended receiver on that play, he didn't really fight back to the ball. And look, it's easier said than done. Your momentum's going one way on a route, and to turn around and fight towards the ball is a challenge. But uh, getting cranked, and he got cranked a lot throughout the night. And I, I found that the Rough Rider offense was unable to make those adjustments to limit the pressure that Mason Fine was under. I know that... We talk about the injuries on the O-line in Saskatchewan. A uh, couple veteran additions in the offseason. Philip Blake out for the season. Peter Godber has struggled staying on the field so far this season as well, dealing with dealing with injuries. But when linebacker Winton McManus is in the backfield seemingly all the time introducing himself, I might add ever so kindly to Mason Fine that... There has to be some adjustments, and it just seemed like it wasn't happening for the Riders. But Mason find another 300-yard passing game. Yeah, you'd like to see him moving the ball down the field a little bit more often, a little bit less of the conservative stuff, but... Jamal Morrow, in an opportunity, fumbled the ball on the goal line. In another opportunity, Mason Fine looking for Braden Linnaeus in the end zone. It was third and long, or third and goal. And maybe the quarterback and the receiver both played the ball a little bit differently due to the goal post being in the way in a CFL game. That's the way it goes. 
Fontlenny is he had a good shot at that ball and probably wants that one back and uh, would have played it a little bit differently the next time out. Those two plays and then the special teams play, all those things happen. And it's probably a lot closer of an outcome in this one. But those are the plays that went Saskatchewan's way in the wins, right? (laughs) Not the Calgary game. They had a return touchdown, but they weren't able to take advantage of that and win that game. But even before Mason Fine, this Rough Rider offense was off and on. Before they had the veteran, they had Trevor Harris. He could make the drive happen at the big time and squeak out a couple wins. Inexperienced guys that have played four or five games just do not have that same ability. But at the end of the game, Jake Dolagala gets an opportunity for the Rough Riders. He goes four of five for 100 yards and a touchdown to Sean Bain. He displayed he's got a hell of an arm. He's got an accurate arm. He made great throws on those pass attempts to uh, get the ball into the end zone. The first major of the game for the Rough Riders in the fourth quarter. Hey, the Riders outscored the Argos 13-10 in the second half. But this is what we've seen from the Argos, right? It's not the first time this season a backup quarterback has come in against the Argos and scored a few touchdowns. It happened uh, for the Elks. Jarrett Dagey coming in, having success late in the game against the Argos. So that has happened before. And I wonder if they're taking the foot off the gas a little bit. They don't want to put any more on film than they have to for their opponents in upcoming games. Why show it up against the third stringer when you're up by three scores? That's probably what the Argos are doing here. The Riders did have some receivers producing in this one. Tevin Jones, 9 of 11, 133 yards. Sean Bain, 10 of 12, 144 yards and a touchdown. In the past two games with Mason Fine, Sean Bain has 20 catches over 200 yards and one score. The score did come from Jake Dolagala, but Sean Bain, <laughs> with 22 targets in two games, he went a perfect 10 for 10 a week ago against the Lions. I don't know. Is this guy a, a fantasy monster? He had over 30 points this week against the Argos. Sam Emelis, five catches, 91 yards. But Jamal Morrow, again, And it was better than the BC game, of course. 10 carries for 41 yards. And he had uh, himself three catches for two yards. Getting pushed back on a few of those plays as uh, he had a long of eight. Not able to succeed on those plays at all. Jake Winicky back into the lineup. One catch on five targets and 13 yards. So the, the Riders did move the ball here and there. Just made it into the red zone and couldn't finish those drives. The Argos, uh, Dijon Brissett, two catches, five yards, but a touchdown. 
Uh, their leading receiver was Cam Phillips, four catches and 38 yards, but somehow they still put up 31 points. Mason Fine was sacked five times in this one. Chad Kelly sacked once. Now, is there a quarterback controversy in Saskatchewan? A lot of fans want to see Jake Dolagala get that ball going forward. And why not? He came into the game and did very, very well. Craig Dickinson after the game saying Mason Fine played well enough. He's earned himself another start. But how long is that leash? Because Craig Dickinson doesn't have a very long leash himself. The upcoming game for the Riders is taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks at home. And then they go to Montreal to play the Alouettes. So not a very easy stretch here. Because, by the way, after that, it is the BC Lions before going on by into Labor Day. Will they give Mason Fine these next three games before the bye to see what happens? And then make a change come Labor Day against those Winnipeg Blue Bombers? We'll see. They're going to have to finish drives and make adjustments as the game goes on because the Rough Rider defense has performed. Uh, since Trevor Harris went down, the Riders' pass rush has stepped up. The run defense has stepped up. A.J. Olette, 3.8 yards a carry. Nine carries, 34 yards. But Andrew Harris, he had success with limited work. Seven carries, 41 yards in the process. Passing Charles Roberts, his childhood icon or idol. And moving into fifth all-time. And the CFL's rushing yards list. Congratulations to him for that accomplishment in the CFL. On to the second half of that Saturday doubleheader. Where the Edmonton Elks get shut out for the second time this season by the BC Lions and lose 27-0. Now, I don't even know what you say anymore about those Edmonton Elks. It's the first time in CFL history a team has been shut out twice by the same team. Normally, if you're playing another team again or close together, it's tough to beat them twice. Never mind three. But to get shut out twice? That's not good. And look... The Lions' defense is incredible. They are. <laughs> they held Winnipeg to six. They've had, they've held a few teams to no majors uh, this season. But Elks fans showed up. I, I thought it was a nice turnout, all things considered. 0-7. Yeah, there were a few hundred Lions fans in attendance watching uh, their team uh, uh, on top of the West Division. But the story in this one's the penalties. The ones that Edmonton were taking, and so many of them so preventable. No yards. There was a a face mask on Lucky Whitehead that extended a drive. They're lucky that that one ended up ending in three points instead of six, seven, or eight. There, And some of them were a bit... Head scratchers a little bit, at least I thought from the officials. And this is a discussion I had with Ty, and I'll I'll bring it up with you. So sometimes the good teams get the breaks 
when it comes to the officiating a little bit? Do you feel like a Mike O'Shea for Winnipeg's in the officials' ears a little bit, and they they protect Kolaris a little bit more? They may be... Uh, Stanley Bryant held him a little bit, but uh, we'll we'll let that one go. That wasn't holding. But the bad teams, <laughs> they they seem to struggle in every single facet of the game, and every single mistake just seems to stick out that much more. There were a couple pass interference calls in this one that I kind of shook my head at. It, it kind of looked like the veteran, talented receivers on BC embellished them a little bit and got the call. They are the good team, Edmonton, the bad team. The blindside block that uh, (laughs) got called, I don't know, as an old school, I'm not that old school, but an old school football guy, it was big on big. He didn't just send him into the middle of the next week. I thought it was a good block to extend the play, but ends up getting the blindside block call. Edmonton did get one call. I mean... Maybe even two. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, uh, he made a few puzzling decisions. He, he got away with a couple of them in this one. The classic going down for the sack and one hand flip it into the field. Who knows what happens? He got picked off on that, but there was a pass interference. And there was a lateral that... I don't know why they ended up calling it an incomplete pass instead of a fumble. So it could have been, believe it or not, a lot worse. The Lions had the ball for 37 minutes and 37 seconds. A full quarter longer than the Edmonton Elks. And there was a big play the Lions missed early in the game. Uh, Dane Evans throwing it out to Keon Hatcher, who the southpaw, Throws it down the field. Overthrows Alexander Hollins a little bit there. I would have liked the passing touchdown on Keon Hatcher's numbers. He was in my fantasy lineup. I had 92 points this week, so I wasn't all that upset with my day. The 15 points from the Argos defense didn't help or hurt, I should say. Uh, Hatcher finished his day with five catches, 87 yards. He was targeted in the end zone. Dane Evans threw a little bit behind him again. Would have liked that uh, on my fantasy totals. Lucky Whitehead, six catches, 54 yards. Alexander Hollins had 94 yards. And Taquan Mizell back into the lineup. He had 22 carries, 117 yards. For him, man, he's elusive. He's shifty. He seems to me like he's got great vision. He always seems to be picking the right hole to just open up and, and and crush, right? He also had two catches, 30 yards, including a 23-yard touchdown, his first in the CFL. Justin McKinnis adding the other touchdown for the BC Lions, a 23-yarder on a beautiful throw from Dane Evans. And then the Lions followed that up with one of those couch celebrations we've seen a few times at Commonwealth Stadium. I believe BC... Well, obviously, they did it this week. Saskatchewan and Calgary have done it. When are we going to see it from Edmonton? You got to make those celebrations happen in your own house and stop the other team from doing it, right? Dane Evans, 25 of 32, 330 yards and two 
touchdowns. That's why it was so important for the Lions to have an experienced backup quarterback. And right now, it is paying dividends. Taylor Cornelius, 16 of 30, two interceptions, 187 yards. But here is a big picture discussion. Why do they keep parading him out there? Not only do I think it is demoralizing to the team as a whole, it's demoralizing to him, the man, the player, Taylor Cornelius himself. He's lost his confidence. He <laughs> he looks defeated. And they keep sending him out there. But why? Because Trey Ford doesn't practice well? Doesn't practice good enough? The Boo Birds were raining down from the stands at Commonwealth Stadium. One of the most awkward points of the game was when the in-game hosts are on the screen and they want to throw t-shirts to the crowd and they're asking for some noise. Let's hear you, Edmonton. Well, they start booing. And I'm sure this was a commercial break and fans are booing what the team is trying to get them to get excited. But what's there to get excited about? I mean, the bad decisions after bad decision. Taylor Cornelius, he's forcing it. He's pushing it down the field. And by the fourth quarter, when they're down four scores, he just forces it even more. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then things just implode even further. An interception or a sack, fumble, whatever it is. Even a Dylan Mitchell 54-yard completion. You you know what happened on the very next play? Taylor Cornelius ends up getting intercepted. That was the Gary Peters interception in this one. So even a 50-yard completion gets followed up by that. And the fans are booing. And I don't even know if they're booing Taylor Cornelius or the maybe just booing the offensive coordinator or just booing the decision to keep putting him out there. There are fans in Saskatchewan calling for Mason Fine to ride the pine. He's had two starts this season, two starts last season with a team that had already given up on their hope for the playoffs. Taylor Cornelius has played 27 games. He's won four of them. We see a lot of quarterbacks not afforded that opportunity, not afforded that patience, but the cast around him, it just, he's not the one taking the silly penalties. He's not the one, (laughs) well, maybe he does. He puts the team a step forward. There was a throw he made at the end of the first half. Linebackers in his face. The blitz is in his face. He sails it over a linebacker right into Kyron Moore's hands and had a had a great completion there. He did not look bad in the first half. Receivers falling, receivers, you know, dropping the ball themselves. Kyron Moore did have four catches, 61 yards. Dylan Mitchell, three catches, 64 yards. Kevin Brown, you want to know what he did rushing in this one? And maybe this one is just a credit to the BC Lions. Five carries on five yards. Last week, the Lions held Jamal Morrow to 11 yards on 12 carries. 17 carries, 16 yards for the two starting running backs. 
over the past two weeks, all the credit in the world does go to the BC Lions. Of course, they are an incredible defense, and Ryan Phillips has them ready every single week. But you would just think the Elks would be playing inspired or with reason to win. But sometimes desperation can make you do silly things. And maybe that's what it is. Losing focus, taking these, like, almost 140 yards penalties in the first half. (laughs) People can, you know, talk about attendance issues and things like that and wishing that Edmonton would have 40,000 in the stands. Why? (laughs) 40,000 people used to go to watch Edmonton be a a winning. It's, It's one thing if they go out there and they just straight up lose, you know? The Lions just out-talent them, out-scheme them, all this sort of stuff. When you give up almost 200 yards in penalties, that's not fun to watch. It's not fun to watch the quarterback just look like he's broken, really, shaking his head. He got helped up by the head official at one point. Like, where's the offensive lineman? It's almost like the official was showing pity on him. And look, they have said that Taylor Cornelius gives them the best chance to win. I know they've said that a lot, over and over again. (laughs) But it hasn't happened. Why not just throw Trey Ford in? Is is Taylor Cornelius the the one that you're willing to ruin his career? Is that what it is? Are, Are you proving a point? Are you just being far too stubborn? 12 seconds left in the game. Jarrett Dagey comes in on the final offensive play for the Elks and uh, hands the ball off. Was that to protect Taylor Cornelius from getting booed? Why why Dagey coming on with 12 seconds left? Another thing, another head scratcher that made absolutely no sense to me. Not only are the Elks shut out twice by the BC Lions, they haven't even made it into the red zone. Dean Faithful did try a long field goal. It fell about five yards short. The Elks even had an interception for a touchdown, only to be called back on a on a penalty. Or was that the uh, lucky Whitehead catch? And then fumble that ended up being called an incomplete pass recovered by the Elks. That, to me, another head scratcher there. Like, (laughs) to me, it looked like a straight-up fumble. I'm not an expert, but it looked like he caught the ball, brought it down, dropped it. That's a fumble to me, but they called it incomplete. And another bad break for the Elks. When you're that bad... You don't get the breaks. There was a Elks fan <laughs> in our section. And look, I I, I respect the humor. He, he was holding this sign up. And I quote, If you gotta stink, be the best at it. Push for 21. It is 21 home losses In a row for the Elks, dating back to October of 2019. Against who else? 
the BC Lions. Yeah. The record in North American pro sports. Farhan Lalji tweeting tonight. His understanding is that the Elks could be making an announcement as soon as today regarding their coaching staff, hearing that Jarius Jackson could be taking over the play-calling duties from Stephen McAdoo. It just is sad now. The Elks are on by, and their next game comes against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at Commonwealth Stadium. The Bombers coming off the bye this coming week against the BC Lions. So the Lions on a short week traveling to Winnipeg after winning in Edmonton. I don't know. I I don't think a team... (laughs) It's not easy to make a schedule. But a team coming off the bye, hosting a team that was on the road on a short week. Another quirk in the CFL schedule. The final game in Week 8 came on Sunday where the Montreal Alouettes beat the Calgary Stampeders 25-18. If you like touchdowns, this is not the game to enjoy. If you do like (laughs) field goals, this was your game. It was worth the price of admission, man, with uh, David Cote going 6-for-7 on field goals. Renee Paradez, 6-for-6 six six on field goals. He had one from 50. He had from 53. And if my stats are correct, he's perfect from 50 yards and beyond so far in 2023. What a start to the season for Renee Paradez. Cody Fajardo, sort of a game-managing game in this one. 16 of... 29, 158 yards, no touchdowns, five carries for 27 yards for him, but no turnovers. Obviously, that is a positive. And you know what another positive is? He was only sacked once. Uh, Brad Muhammad was released by the Calgary Stampeders uh, early in training camp. But he was brought back this week playing halfback. And it looked like the matchup that the Owls were trying to exploit here was Kayon Julian Grant on Brad Muhammad. It worked early. Julian Grant getting himself a 31-yard catch. He had five catches for 71 yards in this one. Their leading receiver. Austin Mack ended up having three for 37, so they weren't able to get him going much uh, for the Alouettes. But another focus, I think, was getting William Stanback going for real. And early on, they had success. 15 carries for 86 yards for William Stanback, 5.7 yards a carry, a long of 25. Early in this game, in the first quarter, it looked like vintage William Stanback running through arm tacklers, running downhill, the big bruising running back that he is capable of being. They kind of got away from it a little bit. He could have got, I think, 150 yards in this one if they stuck with it. And maybe that is a big reason that the Owls didn't get into the end zone in this game at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. There was a touchdown. It just ended up being an interception return. Jake Mayer, 24 of 44, 256 yards with two interceptions. 
And they weren't good interceptions. Well, I don't know if any interceptions are really good. Some of them you can defend, I guess. But much like the uh, the Alouettes were trying to maybe pick on Brad Muhammad for his return to the lineup, the Stamps were trying to pick on uh, KB and Ento of the... Uh, of the Montreal Alouettes. He got picked on a couple weeks ago and he was getting burned a lot. But in this game, he played well. He had two knockdowns, three tackles, and a pick six. Well done, KB and Ento. They tried to take advantage of that matchup and he showed up to play being the only touchdown uh, in this game between both teams. Uh, Tommy Stevens, he uh, gets into the game for a couple of rushing plays, two for 32. Uh, yeah, he had a 31-yard rush. Diedrich Mills, only five carries for 16 yards. Levante Bellamy getting some carries for the Stampeders, three carries, 18 yards. Maybe we're going to see him work into the offense a little bit more. Leading receiver for the Calgary Stampeders, eight Catches 102 yards for Reggie Bagleton. Trey Odom's Dukes had 12 targets, 8 catches, 87 yards. So they were definitely looking his way a lot in this game. The really interesting part of this game came at the very end. And some of that interesting clock management, I thought, first of all, from the Montreal Alouettes. Here is your situation. The Alouettes get the ball on their own 18. It was after an interception. The Stamps had every opportunity to tie this game up, by the way. Um, they're, they're picked off with about a minute and a half left. So Montreal gets that ball. They have a three-yard rush with William Stanback. 124 to go. That burns eight seconds off the clock. Timeout, Stampeders. It is second and seven. And then <laughs> the Stamps have no timeouts left. Even the commentators. Uh, Paul Lapalise, great job. First game as color commentator on TSN. we got to do something to keep the clock going because the Stamps don't have a timeout. High percentage passing play, whether it's a screen play or a rush, just keep that clock moving. What does Jason Moss call? A deep play down the middle of the field, and it falls incomplete. So the Alouettes ate 46 seconds off the clock and gave Calgary another great opportunity. And they ended up getting great field position because Tommy Lee Lewis has a nice Return, 38 seconds left. Calgary starts a drive on Montreal's 32-yard line. The Stamps, they had lots of opportunities to tie this game up. If they could only finish a drive, then maybe we're talking about this game just a little bit differently. But you want to talk play calling. They continue to pick on KB and Ento at the end of this game. Mark and Michelle, he uh, 
is the intended target 30 yards down the field. Like I thought, with 38 seconds left, the Stamps, except for maybe running plays, they, they have almost their whole playbook. Intermediate routes, get out of bounds, you're eating seven seconds. You could take your time getting down the field and getting into the end zone, but they started taking end zone shots right away. And another key moment was Dave Dickinson trying to get a pass interference. It didn't work. Later in the game, Mark and Michelle looks like he got his hands under a low thrown ball that's called incomplete. No more challenges left for the Stampeders. But first and 10 stamps, 38 seconds left. Montreal 32-yard line. KB and Anto covering Mark and Michelle breaks up the play. Second and 10, 37 seconds left. KB and Anto covering Reggie Bagleton incomplete, but the Alouettes take a roughing the passer penalty. First and 10, Stampeders, Montreal 17-yard line with 31 seconds to go. Mayer hits Diedrich Mills. Complete for seven yards. Mayer has an incomplete pass to Tommy Lee Lewis. And then third and three, 14 seconds to go. Tries to hit Luther Hakanavanu in the back of the end zone. You needed three yards. You were on the 10. You could have got a first down before getting the touchdown, but throws it deep into double coverage. The play goes nowhere. Even Reggie Bagleton was in the block on that play. He had 102 yards in this game. He's your veteran receiver. I think he should be running a short route. The sure-handed guy. Second and three. (laughs) You had everything open. Well, not only that. uh, Jake Mayer had a first down right in front of him if he just used his legs. The decision-making when the game is on the line has not been good enough for Jake Mayer. Dave Dickinson will tell you that himself. The Alouettes win, and right now, the East Division is 8-4 against the West in 2023. Home teams are actually (laughs) 15-16 in this one, so a losing record there. The West has a losing record against the East. It is a fascinating season so far. And man, the parody is just off the charts this year. And things don't get better for the Stampeders. I will add that as well. They're 2-5 and five on this season. Here's their next four games. Toronto twice. And then Winnipeg and B.C. It is not a good spot for the Calgary Stampeders right now. They could easily be 2-9 and nine going into Labor Day. Do you think the Elks have a chance at splitting with the Stampeders? I certainly do. And I actually think the Elks have a chance of beating the Riders in September as well. There's going to be a team. I, I think the Elks are going to steal one. And... Uh, the team that they beat, look, maybe it's Winnipeg in a couple weeks when Edmonton comes off the bye. Nobody wants to be that team to lose to Edmonton right now. That East Division is tight. The West is crazy. And I did discuss this with Ty in the lost episode. Could there be 
and East team crossing over to the West. Could you imagine that? Thanks for listening to this episode of Two and Out. I know I'm just kind of rambling into the camera lens, and I hope you're on the other end and have enjoyed this little chat. Uh, I'd love the lo- what you thought of the games. You can leave it in the comments on YouTube. I do want to let you know that Ty's going to be back on Wednesday. We'll uh, release the episode for our patrons that night. You can go to patreon.com slash two and out CFL podcast. There's a, there's a couple of different tiers. Uh, one is really just a cup of a cup of coffee. If you want to just support us a couple bucks every month, you can do that. And the other one, it's like three cups of coffee and you'll get early access to every episode and uh, you'll have that up on patreon.com so I'm going to be on holidays next week but we're still going to bring you content okay we're going to record some stuff this week I'll be chatting with 1993 Grey Cup champion Jed Roberts I've heard him tell some great stories on the Turf District and also Inside Sports on 630 Jed in Edmonton we'll be bringing those great stories here to Two and Out and then on Friday we'll be talking to CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi we got a lot of questions uh, and it seems like we always kind of catch up with him in August. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to a wrap on Touchdown Atlantic and maybe getting some of your questions answered by the commissioner as well. I love being that uh, uh, sort of bridge between the league and the fans a little bit when we get a chance to talk to the commissioner. So our Patreons, our patrons on Patreon.com, they'll have a chance uh, to get their questions answered. You can submit questions there if you're a patron. If not... You can sign up there as well, and hopefully we'll ask your question to the commissioner and we'll get an answer for you on an episode of Two and Out. You can rate, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. You can like, subscribe, and comment on YouTube as well, and I have mentioned the Patreon a lot as well. Sorry, it's probably not the quality <laughs> or average quality you're used to on Two It Out, me bantering with somebody else, but I, I thought it was important to get this show out there. Oh, I didn't even mention the Jacara Davis thing, not a Stampeder because of a torn meniscus. So uh, I'm sure the, the Stamps defensive line would have appreciated having him around. I had to throw that one in there. Uh, We'll talk to you later this week with a full crew and then more fun episodes as I head out on holidays. I hope you enjoyed week eight as uh, we'll get you set for week nine coming up on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Two and Out. I'm Travis Curra. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 